And uh, we will turn to Psalm 119, and we're looking at the 16th of the 22 um, sections, or as we call them, they're called strophes or octets, whatever way, whatever you want to call them, octet of verses. But uh, each verse begins with the corresponding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so now we're on the 16th letter, which is the word, the letter ayin. It doesn't, uh, some of the letters have a significance to them, like we've mentioned before. Uh, but this one does, uh, doesn't sound like it has any real importance other than uh, a sound. But it says, consequently, uh, every line of the octet of verses will begin with this letter. And, um, but this is the first time in the psalm of 119 that we have the word oppress or oppressors. And so this tells us that this man, this is one reason people, uh, those who believe that this was not David who wrote it, who after I've read it over and over again, I don't think that David wrote it. And the one reason is here is because he talks about oppressors and oppressors are the ones who take advantage of their authority uh, by brute force or, or power or, and deceit and or deceit. And so they oppress others. And this is specifically forbidden for uh, Jews to do that uh, one for another, Israelites. Um, they, in fact, there were several delineations. Uh, God uh, called it an abomination for um, for someone to oppress a widow or the or the childless, and even James, the book of James tells us that um, that true religion and undefiled before the Father is this: that we visit the fatherless and the afflicted, or fatherless, the widow and the fatherless in their affliction, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So even as a church, we're supposed to watch out over the the the, the helpless or those who are disadvantaged. And so again, we see that uh, there's some strong oppressor that's coming his way. And um, of course, oppressor to us, we could, a uh, very strong synonym, synonym would be tyrant or, ty- or tyranny. Um, in the face of this continued opposition, now notice he's, he's becoming more optimistic and yet he's describing his enemies as more fierce. And so it's interesting how he, he's coming across now, but he's uh, saying the oppression of the powerful people is the psalmist, and God, he is confident of God's guidance through his word. So notice how he's clinging to the word and he's meditating on the word. He's working it through his mind. And that's what uh, we have to do ourselves, um, that you have absolute confidence that you know exactly what God's going to do. And this uh, octet pretty well brings that up. But you are confident that God will take care of you. And so, Lord, you do it exactly. Okay, here's one, two, three ways. This is the way I want you to do it. And God says, I'll do it my way. And so he's wondering kind of how. And he makes several statements. So we have to, in that light, remember the context. And so we'll begin reading in chapter, or Psalm 119, beginning in verse 121. I have done justice and righteousness. 
Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the proud oppress me. My eyes fail for uh, from seeking your salvation and your righteous words. Deal with your servant according to your mercy and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Keep me, give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I have, uh, I hate every false way. Sometimes my glasses uh, give me a little bit of problems in this light. But um, notice, first of all, then uh, we see the um, the secure. I'm sorry. I guess I, uh, my correction is wrong. First of all, uh, whenever I put this, I, I put almost the same um, um, heading for both uh, point one and point two. But uh, point one is the surety of God's servant. The word surety means um, uh, the backup. The, now, God says it's very unwise for us to be a surety for someone else's debt. Uh, and uh, statistics say between 80 to 85 percent of everybody who co-signs usually winds up helping pay the bill. So it's not good to be a co-signer. But when you've got the Almighty God of Heaven who is your co-signer or the one who backs you up, then uh, he's in pretty good shape. Now he's not lying there. He's saying, uh, you know, I've got your back, basically. Is that, that term can also be used at. We're not talking about a financial situation. We're talking about uh, someone who's got your back. That uh, he he picks up your failings. He 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 realizes that you've got uh, that you need help. And so we see the surety of God's servant in verses uh, uh, one twenty one through one twenty three. Notice now it sounds like he's saying, "Lord, I'm just perfect," but that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, "Lord, I've committed." my way to you. He's not saying, Lord, I've done justice. I'm, you know, I'm the better than anybody else. But he is saying, Lord, you know, I did come out my, my life to you and I've tried to do justice and righteousness. Um, I, I, in con- contrast to the people who he later on delineates and says, you know, they voided your law. So compared to them, which he's not comparing, but he is saying, Lord, I've tried to follow you. And so we must realize that when we go to the Lord, we don't always have to have guilt trip. Now, we talked about that Sunday morning. There was a famous uh, woman on television now that's talking about how that you don't need to feel guilt for sin. Well, yes, we do. But at the same time, we should have a confidence that I've got a Lord in heaven who loves me. And yes, I've committed my way to, to the Lord, and I can't help but to realize it's a better way than the, these people who are against me. Now, that's, that's discernment, isn't it? Uh, behold, I show you a better way, the book of Hebrews tells us. And so, as a Christian, even if there wasn't a heaven or hell, just the life that God gives to us here on earth is better than anything that the world has to offer. I mean, I'd a lot rather be here right now in a bar. Uh, I was, uh, 
I don't know. I, I get all these headlines on uh, my Facebook page or other things. I don't know. I, I look at several different uh, news. I, but there's always something about some um, star or somebody who's passed away here recently. I mean, it seems like there's been a whole spate of them. But I think a couple of days ago, they were talking about some, of course, I don't, I've never heard um, Britney Spears sing. I call her Broccoli Spears. Um, then I, uh, I have never heard um, uh, Taylor Swift sing. I mean, I just, I mean, I see a lot of pictures are plastered all over the place. And, but, and I know she's 35 years old or whatever, because that's my daughter's age. And my daughter talked about that. But uh, I don't know a whole lot about them. Uh, but when they die at 35, 36, it seems like they get a lot of attention. Well, there was some, I guess, a porn star, and she died at 36 years old, and they had her on there. Well, I know as much about her as I know about uh, Britain. Well, I probably know more about uh, um, Taylor Swift than I know about this. But, you know, there, there again, it was the idea. But I was thinking, you, there's not uncommon to hear that these people, in fact, uh, I've heard a statistic that about a, anywhere from a quarter to a third of the people that go into the porn industry do commit suicide. So here, I mean, here these are stars or whatever star that is. But there again, uh, they've sold their souls. And uh, then the other two thirds, you kind of wonder about their mental state of mind. And so here he's saying, I would a lot rather be just a misplaying Jane that loves the Lord than to have to be... Britney Spears. And in fact, she's got a lot of problems, doesn't she? So uh, all these people have problems. Now, of course, I have my problems too. So he's not saying I'm perfect and I'm just so much better than these people. But he's saying, Lord, I've committed my way to you and it is a better way. And so, Lord, uh, I've, uh, you know, I've done justice and righteousness. I've tried to follow you. And he says, do not leave me to my oppressors. Was he worried about being left to his oppressors? No, this is just kind of working it out. Lord, um, my oppressors are out there and you haven't done anything about them yet. And so he's still kind of waiting on the Lord and he's saying, Lord, don't leave me. Now I could think of all kinds of ways that I want to escape it, but in the end, I got to realize I got to depend on you. So he's saying, yeah. and of course, we look back at uh, Psalm 58, verses 10 and 11, the righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. So that men will say, surely there is a, a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges the earth. So yes, Lord, that's the one thing I want to see. I would love, not vengeance, you take care of the vengeance. But I would love those people who are against me and against you to say, you know, I was wrong and I need the Lord like you've got. That would be, a, that'd be the best answer, wouldn't it? is I realized that like Paul, uh, he imprisoned people, but then he turned around and was their friend. I would love to, to have that type of uh, a friend. Now, I don't like the enemy, but Lord, uh, don't, you know, the greatest thing you can do is don't leave me to them. But if, you're gonna, if the, the oppression is going to be there, and obviously it's been there for the last 20 octets or 21 octets, um, don't leave me to them. Let's have victory over them. So this is a context that he's talking about here. And then the next term he uses, there's that word surety that I meant to put on uh, Roman numeral number one. Uh, you are my surety for good. Now there again, who's good? Who's the ultimate good? You know, God is good. 
and all through the Old Testament, when the Lord talked to the uh, rich young ruler, why do you call me good? And then the rich young ruler said, he knew what that meant as far as the Hebrew uh, was concerned. He said, uh, okay, I won't call you good, I'll call you master. I'll call you rabbi, but I won't call you good, good rabbi. Because we know whenever you stress that part of good, we know that only, good only can be God. And of course, he is God. And so we see that he says, uh, be surety for good. Now, Lord, let other people see your goodness in me. Lord, I mean, they're picking me apart. They could find all kinds of things, or if they can't find anything, they're inventing things about me. They're slandering me. They're saying all kinds of things. But Lord, you're my backup. You're my surety. You're the one who could take care of my needs. And I, I get blindsided all the time. I don't know what they're going to come up with next, Lord. But I like what Paul said. Concerning this thing, I pleaded to the Lord three times that he might depart from me. And he said that it might depart from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So there again is that great verse. So Lord, uh, you're going to make up for it. You're going to fill in the voids. I, I gave my reputation to you. So you're the one who's going to have to take it and be my surety. You're going to be the one... Yes. My grace is sufficient. For you. My grace is Okay, okay, the question is, uh, my grace is sufficient. Well, the word su sufficient, uh, the, uh, the noun there is suffice. In other words, it can complete. And all I could do is tell you what I know. And that is in the time of deepest sorrows. And the first time is probably the most impactful for me was when my mother was on her deathbed. I'll never forget the grace that God showed me that night. In fact, others did see it. And some unsaved people in my family said, I wish I had what you had. But everybody in my family, I've been the, the more emotional one. I'm the charger, but I'm also the one who's got a lot of you know, emotion when it comes to uh, care or sadness or whatever. But uh, I was a perfect piece while everybody else was falling apart. And uh, I don't know why other than God gave it to me. Now, is that, is that like that all the time? No. But at the same time, I'll never forget, forget it. And uh, now over the past 40 years since my mother has passed away, I know what people are going through on their deathbed and what the families are going through. I mean, I know what the families are going through. I don't know what the person on the deathbed is. And so all I could tell you is that, you know, that peace that he can give you in the midst of that. Uh, how that, I don't, I'll never want to go through it again. And I've, God, God has been good. Uh, none of my, my wife or children have even faced, well, my wife almost did, well, I guess, but, but it was nothing where um, we could think about it. I mean, it was, she was within about a half a minute of, of passing on before we got her to the hospital. He said, you had about eight minutes to get, to get her here. And uh, 
I was, you know, there was such a hurry that I didn't have time to think about it. But boy, that would have been rough afterwards if I hadn't gotten there in eight minutes. But, but there again, those are the times where I can't tell you why, but you just, you're depending on the Lord in those times of great trouble. I've had that, uh, I told you about, uh, uh, my, again, my wife and I, we were in between churches and boy, it was a depression there in the, around the Detroit area. No jobs, everything. And I was down to our last pennies. We were wondering how, how we were going to make it. And yet a lady that uh, asked us, so, I mean, she said, uh, my mother passed away, but I've got to have somebody living in that house because of tax and um, insurance purposes. Will you stay there for us? I'll pay everything. I'll pay all. We're going. Here we are worrying about everything, and God supplied. But I, but she lived close to the reservoir that is north of, um, of Flint there. And uh, I walked down to the river one time, wondering, what in the world, Lord, what, you know, even though we got a place to stay, what about tomorrow? And I'll never forget the verse that came to me. And he led us beside the still waters. And I looked out over that placid lake. You know, so I could tell you what it means to me, but I can't experience it for you. Uh, have I always been like that? No, there's been times when I've been hit with problems and I've walked the floors until God gave me peace. Or the Lord, or <laughs> I think, again, my grace is sufficient. And I think of another couple of times, there was a situation where uh, the church what we'd taken had all kinds of scandal. We, we didn't know it until we got there. But uh, people were leaving, and, um, and we were wondering how we were going to make it go. Here I was, a thousand miles from any place I'd been, and I got four kids to raise, and I, the church is falling apart, and I didn't even know what to do. Um, and the, lo and behold, a guy came by, and he said, you know, I've been mowing the lawn here for years, and I've been hardly charging the church anything, but I can't do it anymore. I'm retiring. Well, all of a sudden, now there's another big bill. But, you know, it was kind of interesting when I was walking through the door of the parsonage, uh, the Lord just kind of wouldn't let me worry about it. And just the next day, I, a man I'd led to the Lord said, you know, Pastor, I bought a big old skag lawnmower, and I'm going to come up and mow the lawn. And I'm going... You know, it's just one of those things where, and now every time I get to the point where, oh my, the offerings have been down, or boy, what am I going to do here? I still remember that where God supplied. There again, tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Uh, has God been sufficient to me and through my life? Yes. Now, has he, if he did it every day, I wouldn't remember any of it. But you sure remember those times. And so, and Paul, you know, here he prayed three times. But God must have spoken to him in such a way that he never forgot it. Okay, Lord. And notice he, he goes on in that passage. He says, most gladly then, if that's the case, Lord, go ahead and let it happen. Now, I'm not there yet. <laughs> Lord, I want it to stop, to, you know, tomorrow or today. But um, does that kind of explain what I'm talking about? The sufficiency of God's grace. Great peace have they who love thy, thy law and nothing shall offend them. Not there yet either, because I have to sometimes battle that. But we're going to look at that in just a moment, even in the song that we, uh, we sang this morning, this evening. We're going to look, and I, I printed that. But, and so many times, 
as I'm going through this psalm, 119, you've noticed that I put a lot of songs in there because they remind me of the very people that have gone through the trials in this present age that this man went through 3,000 years ago. And so, uh, it, it, is he the same God? Yes. Now, can, excuse me, can God meet our needs? Yes. Um, does he promise me that it'll just be happy, 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 all, happy all the time? No. In fact, if I was, then I wouldn't need him. But um, we find that, it, that he is sufficient for those who will hang on. You know, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Now, what do they have to do? They have to wait a while sometimes. And to keep on, that word wait, of course, we looked at before, two ways of looking at it. You wait on the Lord in service to him, like a waiter, and then you wait on him as far as time is concerned until God meets the need. And so the one thing I want you to do, and all of, all of our people, is I want you to be able to tell someone else uh, I don't, you know, when something comes up every once in a while, it just kind of makes me cringe when somebody's, but God will bless you and God will take care of you and all this. And it's just verbs, words. But I sure like it a whole lot more when I know someone's been there, done that. Amen? I mean, you got that person in the church that can come along and say, you know, I faced this a few years ago myself or a few days ago, and I know that God, when you got that person, I've told you about uh, one of the situations where one of my former roommates, I'd moved off campus and was living in a, uh, a, do uh, in a mobile home off campus. Oh, boy, I was looking back on it now. It wasn't much, but at least it got me, you know, kept a warm roof over my head. But um, one of my former roommates came over and he said, can I just sit in your living room? And something told me not to question why. And so he came in, big old, you know, he weighed 200 pounds, big guy and all this. But he just came in and sat in my living room while I was washing dishes, I think, and had some books on the table, study or whatever. But he said, you know, thanks, thanks for letting me come over. And I said, uh, you're welcome, anytime. He said, no, um, I just found out my mother has cancer and she's dying and I just wanted to be around somebody who knew what it was like. I didn't say a word to him. It was just somebody that had been there, done that. And so all I can tell you is that I know that God can supply. Am I looking forward for, to God doing that again? Absolutely not. But I do know whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. Can I trust him? Can I trust him during the hard times? And that's, uh, and there again, there's going to be trials. But um, can I trust God that he will supply all my needs? And so, yes, his grace is sufficient. That means he supplies. He suffices. And so here he's saying, Lord, be my surety. Uh, hold me up. Take me up. Hold me. And um, so we see that, um, that he is saying, uh, you're sure to do for good. They oppress me. Um, and do not let the proud, do not let the proud know she talks about oppressors and oppressors. So don't let them oppress me. So Lord, I need the, the confidence to let this stuff bounce off. 
how can I do that? I was talking to a man and been trying to get him in church for quite a while. But um, last week, he was missing $6,000 in his retirement account. account. And uh, he was just wondering, you know, he was just so afraid that somebody had gotten old. But uh, I talked about it with him, told him we'd be praying for him and all that, uh, or that I would be praying for him. And using it kind of as a, you know, come on up and sit with Al, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, uh, we'll be praying for you. And, um, you know, but uh, there again, let's just pray that God will take care of. And today he said, oh, by the way, I found out that they transferred it from this bank to another. And so I, I forgot that they didn't tell me. And so, <laughs> or they didn't tell me anyway. And so, but I said, sure makes you feel better, doesn't it? But how many of us have done that? Where, oh my, you don't know, I mean, you, 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 you go to bed and you got that empty feeling in your, in your stomach or in your heart. And yet, uh, can I, during those times, can I trust God? You know, and many times I can't. There are times that I have trouble with it. But doesn't this guy have trouble with it too? But Lord, you've done it before and you can do it again. And so I want to trust your sufficiency, that your grace is sufficient to meet all my needs. And so there again is, oh, I know you can do it, Lord. No, uh, not wishful thinking, but experienced wishing. You know, I'm intelligently wishing because I've seen what you've done before, Lord. You can do it again. And so, yes, his grace is sufficient to meet our needs emotionally, financially, in every way, as we would turn to him. And so um, he's saying, you know, my grace is sufficient. It is made perfect in your weakness. And then notice that 123, where he says uh, that uh, my eyes fail for seeking your salvation. There again is one of those idioms. He's not saying I'm going blind because I've been in your word so much. He's saying, it, I, Lord, I'm wanting it so badly. I'm I'm, I'm, I really want bad. It's almost like my eyes failing me. What do I do to search? What can I do to find, find your word? And so, um, again, Lord, I need to see you do those things. But notice what he says. Uh, my eyes fell um, um, from seeking your salvation and your righteous word. Notice I'm hanging on to your word. And I'm trying to find and I'm searching the scriptures to see the answers. And what, and that verse, or the, as I'm reading the word, Lord, uh, uh, comfort me through the word of God. And so we see, he says, I long to be, for your word to be fulfilled in my situation. I want to see it, Lord. I want to see. It's one thing for me to explain it as good as I could, or as well as I could tonight, tonight but I want Rob to experience it. Amen. Now, there again, I'm not praying that Rob will have some major problem. But I am praying that God will help him to see what, see what we've seen in life. And so those are things. So first of all, we see uh, the surety of God's word. He's, uh, he's our back. But then we see the security uh, in God's word, or God, the servant's security, um, beginning in verse uh, 24. And uh, there's two verses here. Deal with your servant according to your mercy 
and teach me your statutes. So notice he says, okay, my eyes fail, but now Lord, deal with me. Deal with me. Help me to understand. Help me to see what you're talking about. And so he says, uh, deal with me and notice, teach me. How many times have we seen that? Teach me, teach me, teach me. All through this psalm, Lord, teach me through the, this long extended experience I'm going through, teach me. Teach me what you want me to learn. And so he says, teach me about your mercy. Notice, according to your mercy. Um, I know that you love me. And mercy is that one of those key words, one of those beautiful words mentioned hundreds of times in the Old Testament. It's uh, translated loving kindness or tender mercies, different words like that. Uh, the word uh, basically carries the idea of a loyal love, a love that will not let you go. And so, Lord, teach me. I mean, help me to experience your loyal love. Help me to see that, you know, you got a, I, I've got a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So, again, teach me your mercies. Help me to gain experience in that, um, that situation. So, um, he says, deal with me. Teach me your mercy. Um, and, uh, and also according to your mercy and teach me your statutes. And of course, the, the statutes, the more I learn about your word, the more I want to see that mercy. And again, when you start looking for that loving kindness, tender mercy, you'll see it all the way from Genesis through Malachi. That's one of the key words in the Old Testament, the mercies of God. And then the second thing, Lord, not only teach me, but um, give me understanding. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to understand it. And so, Lord, um, I want to know. Um, and, of course, and notice now he changes that from statutes to testimonies. And the word testimonies, of course, remember those eight different ways that he explains the word in um, the uh, Psalm 119. Um, and testimonies, of course, is what God has revealed to us that he's done for others. And, th and I just gave you a couple, and you can go from there. Remember, um, good old, um, um, Jacob, oh, excuse me, Abraham. And Abraham uh, married uh, Sarah. But what was her, what was her, uh, well, who who was the slave girl? Hagar. And remember Hagar, she was mistreated twice. And both times God God went to her. Now you say, wait a minute, she's the mother of the Arabs and all that. Well, no, she was in Abraham's household and she was kicked out. And does God care about outcast? We see that over and over again. We see it with Ruth. We see it with, uh, with Rahab the harlot. We see it with... Uh, with the, well, there we're just talking about outcasts, the, the woman at the well. I mean, just let's talk about the women. But um, all these different people that God had a special tender care for. Um, and of course, I like that in uh, Genesis 16, 13, where she says, Thou, Lord, seest me. Now here she is out in the middle of nowhere, not knowing where she's going to go. Her water has run out until God gives her that. And that's where we get that song, you know, all the way the, uh, my Savior leads me, lo, a spring of, of a well, well, a spring of water I see. Uh, what's that? 
a spring of joy, I see. And so uh, there again, that's I, kind of a re-experiencing of that songwriter probably had some experience like Hagar had. And so it's one of those things where, Lord, teach me your testimonies. And Lord, I see it. You know, um, you know the, the Lord revealed the Lamb. My son, God will provide. I don't know how, but he's going to provide. And Abraham, Abraham, did he provide? He was sufficient. And so we see that. And then, of course, we think of Exodus chapter 3, verse 23, which is a beautiful picture of the other children of Israel going through all kinds of trials. But that passage says, but the Lord looked upon their sufferings and he cared. Does Jesus care for a nation? Yes. Does he care for the individual? Yes. And so can I trust his tender mercies? Can I seek his will and his so teach me, Lord. Teach me those testimonies. Reveal to me through your words. And that's one of the greatest things, and that's why I've mentioned time and time again, when those verses pop in your mind or you're reading and they just jump out at your... Uh, it doesn't happen every day, but when it happens, you, those verses become your favorite verses. I found that time and time again. There are times that I'll get up in the morning and a verse will be in my mind and I've got to go back and read it all, read the whole passage over again because it meant so much and you just relive how that God spoke to you. Now, you don't want that to be 10 years ago. You'd rather for it to be 10 days ago, but at the same time, there are those turning points in your life or those little altars that God has helped you build in your mind where he has proven himself strong. And so again, we see, Lord, teach me about these. Okay, it was good to hear about Hagar, but I need some water now myself. Or it's good to hear about uh, the testimonies that other people have about you supplying their needs, but Lord, I need it too. You know, so I want to be able to say with Abraham, my, my son, God will provide. It's very, that's one thing I found as a father. It's a lot easier to think, okay, God, you can supply my needs. It's another thing to tell my children or someone in the church, my son or whoever, God will provide. Because it's harder for me to trust God will supply your needs than he'll supply mine. Isn't it interesting how it is? And so again, we see the idea of um, the servant's um, security is in the Lord. I'm going to, Lord, I'm just, uh, I've given my ways to you. Uh, that's my, and you're my surety. You're my backup. And I'm giving my security to you, Lord. I'm giving you my reputation. And so, Lord, you're going to, have to take care of these people. I can't. And then we see the third, uh, the last the three verses, the, the, uh, and we see the servant's standard. Now notice he says, I like this again. It sounds like he's saying, Lord, now it's time for you to act. Now get at it. But, you know, he, this man has been very humble. But he's saying, Lord, something's got to happen. Isn't he? He says, I realize whatever is happening is going to be your action, but I need to see it. I mean, tomorrow's D-Day. You know, either I sell that car or I don't. Either I'm going to get executed or I'm not, you know, or whatever else. The judge is going to make the right decision or not. The doctor is going to tell me one way or the other though, about the, the result of the x-rays. Uh, it's whatever it is, Lord, uh, something's coming. And it's, you're going to be acting. So it's time for you to act. And I realize it's coming down to the critical point. 
And so, but notice he says, these people are the oppressors, but notice you've got to act because they have regarded your law as void. In other words, they voided your law. They disregard everything I believe about you. They call a lie truth. They, they uh, call a, a, a immorality, uh, civil rights, all kinds of things. They do all kinds of things that are totally upside down from what the Bible says. And yet, Lord, it's time for you to act, but I can't. Notice it's time for you to act. I can't act. I'm almost helpless here. Remember talking about those people always in back of him. He didn't know where they were, what they were doing, what they were saying. But Lord, uh, it's coming to a point where something's going to happen. And remember, Lord, I've been trying to hold on to what you're saying. Now, what would you do in Nazi Germany in 1936 if you had that happening? Was it going to get better before it got worse or was it going to get worse before it got better? Did God finally act? Yes. But it wasn't in the timing that we thought or that those people thought. Um, I see through the corruption and of talking about uh, people called good, evil, and evil good uh, today. Uh, I'm a, you know, I, didn't, I didn't realize it until just a few weeks ago that I am a Christian nationalist. I don't know exactly what that means other than I believe in the Word of God and that God really had a great influence in the formation of this nation and our, our thought structure. And that our nation, even though it's never been a Christian nation, has, was formed on Christian principles. And I got a whole list of things now. Uh, George Washington said uh, this nation was not, or, the, or Adams also said two things were pretty similar. And that is uh, this constitution that we've come up with um, is not going to work without the Bible. It's not going to work unless you have good men and women that are under self-control and are guided by something different than this Constitution. That's where they didn't put anything about uh, marriage or adultery or anything else in the Constitution because that all had to be personal morality. And then again, of course, that, the, that philosopher de Tocqueville that came over and looked around uh, in the early 1800s, the French skeptic, and he came over and he looked all around the, and went out and slept in the log cabins and went down to the south, came up north. And he did recognize that the south had problems with slavery. Um, we all knew that. Um, but he came back and he said, you know, overall, the strength doesn't lie in Washington. It doesn't lie in the Constitution. It doesn't lie in its legislatures or the governors or the power that I'm so used to being in France, you know, and king and all that. He said it lay, lies in the people. And one of the things that he noted was that in almost every house he went to, even out in rural Kentucky at the time, I mean, that was, those were the boondocks. He said everybody had a Bible and a copy of Pilgrim's Progress. You know, he just was astounded at how many people had a Bible and, an illiterate, uh, and so many people were illiterate, but they had a Bible, you know, or whatever. Um, and he said that in that great statement that he said, America is, is great because she's good. But if she ever ceases to be good, she'll cease to be great. 
And that was from a, uh, a uh, French skeptic that said that. And have we ceased to be good, folks? No wonder we're falling apart. There's no laws that are going to keep us together. The more laws they make, it seems like the worse we're getting. And now we're, and we've said you can't legislate morality. That's true. It's got to come from the heart. It's got to come from a conviction of God. That's the reason we say that, you know, man is only as good as his word and all these different things. Honesty and honor to be, um, uh, it's honorable to do right. To now it's honorable to do wrong. And so what's happening? We're falling totally apart. We've decided they're going to hold, uh, um, we're going to legislate immorality. And so all these different things that we hear today. And so, Lord, it's time for you to do something, but I'm almost afraid to ask him to do anything right now because if we don't turn around, judgment's coming. I mean, we just can't keep going the way we're going. And so, Lord, uh, um, spare us. You know, please act, but act right now by getting hearts right with God. We can't keep going the way we're going. But then also, but he says they've have, they have um, um, called your law void. In other words, it's empty. We, we threw the Bible out. We're going to do it the way we want to do it. And so notice the, the turning point, though. Notice the contrast, the therefores, the there, to therefores. Therefore, because they're going this way, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. I want to love your word even more to the Lord. Help me to get into it and nurture it and uh, make it even more important in my life than it has been in the past. Help me to value your word more. Isn't that a great, uh, I, you know, there again, love is always, is progressive. Not progressive in the political sense, but political. I mean, you know, I want to love my church people more than I loved them a year ago. I want to love my wife more than I loved, loved her a year ago. Whatever. It's progressive. I want, and the more that you love people, the more that it becomes very precious to you. The more that I love God's word, the more precious it becomes. More than much fine go, you know, I don't need the money. I need you, Lord, in the end. Now I need the money, but you know what I need there. And it, but if you're going to give me the money, just help it to be that I can worship you better. I like what one man said. He said um, that uh, my full-time job is to serve the Lord. My part-time job is to finance it. You know, I want to finance my service to the Lord. And so why? Because uh, serving the Lord is 24-7. It's the Lord, just make it better. Make it better. But then the other therefore, notice he says, so first of all, we see my reaction to these people. Therefore, I'm going to love you more. I'm going to turn to the word more. But then the next, therefore, this is my reasoning. Why am I going to love the, the word more? And he says, um, therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. This is the right way. And I know it's the right way. And so I'm going to follow you, Lord. It's because, and so when I consider it, because I know it's right. And I know whatever is right is going to be good. And whatever is good is going to be blessed. So notice how he's reasoning. He says, first of all, my reaction to the unsaved world is I'm going to get closer to God. I'm going to try my best to get rooted and grounded in the Word of God. 
And as a result of that, I'm going to find out and I'm going to see that his word is right. And it's the right way for me. And uh, I'm convinced that he's right. Now, are you sure that's that religion you have there? I mean, look, and they'll give you all kinds of questions. No, but I can't, don't have to understand everything God says. I just know that it's right. And I'll figure it out one day. And he will give me understanding. There, it goes back to that. His ways don't always make the most sense at the time. But they're always right. So, Lord, give me understanding. Okay, isn't that great? I mean, that's good stuff, isn't it? I mean, notice how he's working through each one of these problems as he, th- as he contemplates these major problems in his life that just won't go away. He st- I imagine he writes maybe one of these octets, maybe every day, sometimes maybe skips a week, but he comes back to it. And, and when, of course, under the inspiration of God, um, he's writing these things out. And it probably took him several months to write this this out but the whole time we see that uh, he's in a struggle and so when we pray to the Lord um, it's a real battle sometimes with the mind Lord am I going to trust you or am I going to you know I'm going to let the fears and doubts overwhelm me can I trust you okay comments or questions <laughs>